as we talk about this final uh, series of uh, teachings on sanctification. But it also means to be called out. It means to be set apart for a particular use. It means to be declared or to be made holy. It means to be purified and set free from sin. But when will this happen and how does it happen? Well, I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22. Paul gives us some insight. We've looked at this passage of Scripture. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow us on the screens above. It says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now Paul shows us that Man was created in God's image and the fact that we were created with three parts. Amen? We were created with a spirit. We were created with a soul. We were created with a body. The spirit is the part that relates to God. The soul is the mind and the will and the emotions. It's the seat of the personality. The body is this thing that we carry around our spirit and our soul in. Some of us have better looking somas than others. So uh, God's blessed uh, best other people more than he has me. So uh, I just got to... It's my thorn in the flesh. But every person is made up of three parts, spirit, soul, and body. And because of original sin, every person that shows up in the human existence shows up dead to God, spiritually dead to God. And what happens is we learn how to survive in this world just from our experiences and the input that we receive from our natural senses from the world, and it creates this thing that's called the flesh. In the Greek, it's the word sarks. But the Bible says we're not to live according to the flesh. We're supposed to live according to the Spirit. And through Jesus Christ, when we are born again, we are now made spiritually alive to God. There's a spiritual connection to God. Spiritual life is restored. The word zoe in the Greek is restored to us. And we are made alive to God. And not only are we made alive to God, the Bible tells us that Through Jesus Christ, our spirit is not only connected to God, but our spirit is totally and completely sanctified at the point that we are born again. When you become born from above, your spirit is never more perfect than it is at that point. People always say, well, I'm just human. Well, that's not true. At least one-third of you is pure Holy Spirit. Amen? David Womack talked about that. He said, at least one part of me is pure Holy Spirit. You ever heard him preach? I guess you haven't. But Hebrews 10 says these words, By one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. It lets us into this insight that we have been spiritually perfected while he's still working on the rest of us, while he's still sanctifying the soul and bringing sanctification to the body and to the deeds of the body. So this sanctification work, it begins in our spirit. Our spirit has been sanctified, but unfortunately, because we have this thing called the flesh, we have this tendency to live according to it. But as new believers, we have this new source of life available through the sanctified spirit that is at, the Bible says that we are one spirit with his spirit now. And we have this new source of life, the Holy Spirit And it wants to begin to recreate us, begin to release the power of the Spirit from our spirit out into the rest of our being, into our souls, into the actions of the body. But how does this happen? Well, it comes from our spirit that is perfected, but then it begins to permeate into our soul. We talked about the sanctification of the soul. That begins with the renewing of the what? 
the renewing of the mind. Romans 12.2 says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't let the world and the outside forces coming in shape you anymore, but be transformed by the power that is now in you and let your mind be renewed by that power. So the sanctification of the soul, as we talked about this, it must begin with the renewing of the mind. Our minds must be renewed in truth. Jesus said these words, sanctify them by your truth, for your word is truth. Amen? We've got to receive the word of God and begin to say, this is the way of truth. There is no truth outside of Jesus Christ. There is no life outside of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, the words I speak to you, they are life and they are spirit. We need to exercise our mind in obedience. You know what? When you get a thought that doesn't line up with God's truth, you need to make it bow before Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. So when you get those bad, when you get that, anybody heard that word very stinking thinking? When your mind starts getting in those, those, the, that stinking thinking, when it begins to think negatively, when it begins to think lustfully, when it begins to think hatefully, you take those thoughts and you grab it by the scuff of the neck and you make it bow before Jesus Christ. And then it says that we also need to set our minds on the right things. Notice what it says here in Romans 8, 5, and I'm recapping for people that have been here over the past few weeks. It says, those that live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those that live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. It says that if you're still living according to the flesh, it's because you got your mind set on that. It says if you want to live in accordance with the Spirit, you got to set your mind on the Spirit and what the Spirit desires to do. And, you know, a lot of times we just got to get our mind out of the, what I call getting your mind out of the ghetto. You heard about having your mind in the gutter? We have to take our minds out of the ghetto. Philippians 4 says, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever admirable, whatever worthy of praise or excellent, think about those things. But, you know, the unique thing about that is, is that the power of the Spirit cannot be released until the character of the will is changed. We talked about this last week because the will is kind of like that ring around your soul. And until the character of the will is changed, the characteristics of the will is changed, that power of the Spirit is not going to be released. I gave the analogy last week of like a piece of metal. You know, a lot of times when you go to bend a piece of metal, it's hard at first, right? Just like our will. We don't bend our will at first, do we? But after you bend metal enough times, what happens? What happens? It gets, well, it gets softer first. It becomes more pliable. It gets softer, and then finally it breaks. And when we begin to submit our will, when God bends our will and we submit ourselves, we come to that breaking point where we're able to say, not my will, but your will be done. And that's where the power of the Spirit begins to be released into the rest of our lives. You know, God isn't going to violate our will. He doesn't violate our free will. And there's always going to be the availability for you to have a contest of wills with God. Do you know that? You could say no to God. Anybody ever said no to God? I know what's right, God, but I'm not going to do it your way. Okay, well, let, me, let me know how that works for you. Amen? Two things when that contest comes up, when you're going, okay, is it going to be my way or his way? Two things I want you to think about. First is that 
uh, surrender is going to be the key to sanctification. If you want to release the sanctifying power of God into your life, into the actions that you do, how you live your life, what you do in this body, it's going to require surrender. And I also want you to think about this, that the surrender of our will is the highest expression of our love to God. Jesus said these words. He said, my father loves me because I laid down my life on my own accord. He says, no one takes it from me. I lay down. He goes, and I do it of my own free will. And we need to understand as Christians, we talk about loving God and, and, and what that means to us. It can mean a whole lot of different things. It can mean actions. It can mean emotions. But if we really want to express love to God, love to God is most deeply expressed in the surrendering of our will to him. Would you agree? Would you agree? Can I get an amen on that? Jesus said, what? No greater love than a man has that he lays his life down. And part of laying your life down for God is laying your will down to God. I wrote this quote last week, and I put part of it on Facebook because I saw a little thing from Tony Evans that just went right along with it. But I, I wrote, when we surrender our will to God, we have been given the greatest opportunity to experience both the love of God, the life of Christ, and the sanctification of our souls. So, if we think about the three tenses of sanctification, our spirit has been completely sanctified. As the spirit is working in our lives, our soul is being sanctified, present tense, amen? And our body one day will be sanctified, future tense. And that's what I want to talk about today, the sanctification of the body. If you're taking notes, you can turn over your bulletin. This is a great time to start taking notes. I want to talk about the sanctification of the body of the body. Now we're going to look at two major passages of scripture, one in Philippians 3 and one in 1 Corinthians 15. Turn to Philippians 3 verses 20 through 21. When you get there, say amen. Can I go ahead and take my coat off? Is that okay? There we go. Philippians 3, 20 and 21 says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Think of that. Just kind of picture that in your mind. Our citizenship in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. I want you to think about this. Paul says that we one day when he returns, that the body that we have will be transformed. It will be changed, and we will be like his glorious body. Now, the Bible doesn't describe in detail uh, the glory, glorified body that we're going to receive at the resurrection, at the return of Christ, but by examining what Christ's body was like after his resurrection, we do have some insight to that. How many people would like a new body? <laughs> Man, I'm going to tell you, I guarantee you the gyms are filled up right now while the church parking lots are empty. Everybody's trying to get that glorified. Everybody wants it. Everybody wants it, and they'll do everything to get it. And there's only one place that you can get that perfect body, and that's at the return of Jesus Christ. Amen? So Philippians 3. 
Now, while the Bible doesn't describe this, a lot of this in detail, if you look, I want to turn to 1 Corinthians 15, because that first letter to Corinth, Paul discusses the great differences between our earthly bodies and our resurrected bodies. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 55. We've got a big passage of Scripture I want you to read. As a matter of fact, if you would like a reading assignment, please read all of 1 Corinthians 15 this afternoon sometime. So Paul writes these words, So will it be with the resurrection of the dead? The body that is sown perishable, it will be raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, and it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, and it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it is raised as a spiritual body. Now, he goes on to say, now, there is a natural body. There is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam, speaking of Christ, a life-giving spirit. The, spirit didn't, the spiritual did not come from the first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, because we have been born again or born from above, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Are you following me so far? Say amen. Okay. And he says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery that we will not all sleep, but we all will be changed. I've always wanted to paint that over the nursery. For we will not all sleep, but we all will be changed. Good one, huh? It says, we will not all sleep. We will all, not everybody's going to die at the return of Christ. But we all will be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will raise imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Death, where's, where's the thing that we were all afraid of? Where's it at? Can't touch it now. Can't touch this, right? I'll be singing MC Hammer. Can't touch this. This passage of Scripture is, is, is probably the most detailed in regards to this new body. This passage of Scripture talks about the resurrection of Christ and the resurrected body. And it describes the natural body, the human body, as, as perishable, as corruptible, as dishonorable, as, as weak. Do you know this body is still corruptible? Do we, we realize that, right? Anybody that's over 50 knows it, you know? You know how you just used to be able to shake off pains? You can't do that anymore. It's like, man, it messes with you for days. 
But it says that our glorified bodies are going to be imperishable, that they're going to be honorable, that they're going to be powerful, that our new bodies will no longer just be natural bodies, but they're going to be spiritual bodies, and they're no longer going to be focused just on the natural senses, but they're going to be completely at one with the Holy Spirit, just like our spirit is now. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to this. It says that our glorified bodies will never experience sickness. It's never going to experience pain. It's never going to experience decay. It will never experience deterioration or death. These are all results of sin. And it's not going to, be, it's not going to experience pain. It's not going to experience heat or cold or hunger or thirst. It will no longer be weakened by sin and its temptation. Paul talks about in Romans 7, he says, I realize part of the problem is because I still live in this fallen body, this corruptible body, that there's actually the power of sin still living in the members of my body. But when we get this new body, when we get the glorified body, that will no longer be there. There will be no longer sin. There will be no longer temptation. The glorified body will be a spiritual body, But that doesn't mean, if we look at Christ's resurrection, that doesn't mean that we're just going to be a spirit floating around. No, we will have form. There will be solidity to to touch. But yet we will not be subject to the natural laws of gravity and time and space. We will be able to enjoy food, but it will not be driven out of necessity for nourishment or out of lust. You'll be able to eat without gaining weight. Anybody say amen to that? Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Praise God. Hallelujah. Can't wait till I can do the hair flip, too. You know? One day. Hallelujah. And these bodies are going to be perfectly suited for living in heaven and they will be exactly what God originally designed us to be. Remember at the very beginning of this series of teaching, I told you that the the most basic definition of sanctification is to restore back to the proper functioning order. And when our body is sanctified, when we receive that glorified body, we will be restored back to what God created us to be in the body. We will be glorified with Christ, and that glory will extend to the bodies that that we will inhabit. That passage of Scripture says that our lowly bodies are going to be like his glorious body. And we will no longer have those physical limitations imposed on us by sin that have hindered our ability to to, to fully serve him on earth. That's going to be gone. We'll be able forever, we'll be able to freely experience him and to praise him and to serve him and to glorify him forever in eternity. Hallelujah! So I want us to understand, in Christ, our spirit's have been sanctified, perfected, past tense. Our souls, our mind, our will, and our emotions are being sanctified, present tense, and one day that body will be totally, gloriously, like his, it will be sanctified also, but that's a future tense. But what about until then? I guess I'm stuck with this old thing, right? 
stuck with this old thing. It's going to die. You're going to get sick at times, right? You're going to get sick at times. You're going to lose hair, some of you. I've already lost mine. I don't really want them back. They were traitors. They left me when I was like 18, so I don't really want to see them again. I'm stuck with this old thing. And that's true. We continue to live in a fallen world until Christ returns. Amen? And we continue to live in a fallen body until Christ returns. Amen? But God still, listen to me carefully, God still calls us to honor him with our bodies until his return. Amen? And we can do that by the same power that sanctifies us from the inside out. The power of the Spirit that lives in us, that that perfects our spirit, that begins to transform our mind, our will, and emotions, should be translating into the deeds and how we live in the body. Would you agree? Would you agree? Do you think what we do with our bodies is important to God? Do you think that? I think what we do in the body, what we do with our bodies, bears evidence to the life that we have in us. Amen? I mean, shouldn't our lives speak volumes about a testimony of what God is doing in us and through us? More so than just our words, but our lives? One of the things I noticed when I was studying like this scripture that we just read from 1 Corinthians 15, if you look at the pre- scriptures previously, just in front of these, where they describe this transformation of this body, it talks about how we need to be living in preparation for that to happen. Because it gives us instruction on, like, on how to live until we receive that glorious body. 1 Corinthians 15, 32 through 34 says this. It says, if the dead are not raised, it says, if there is no resurrection, hey, let's eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. You know what? If there is no return to Christ, there is no resurrection, hey, go out and party it up. Do whatever you want to do. How many people know that Jesus is returning? Are you looking forward to it? Are you ready for it? Are you ready? You know, like I said, I've seen t-shirts that said, Jesus is coming, hide the bong. Yeah, that's where we're living now. Jesus is coming, hide the porn. Do you think God cares what we're doing in the deeds of the body until he returns? Well, it says, well, if, there, if the dead is not raised, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Do, Paul goes on to write, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. Stop sinning. Live holy. Look what it says in Philippians. Remember it talked about in Philippians, it said that he's going to transfer our lowly bodies into his glorious one. Look what it says, Philippians 3, 18 and 19, it says, For as I have often told you before, and I now tell you again, even with many tears, he says, many are living as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomachs. It says that that translates their God is their appetites or their desires. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Paul writes these words in 1 Corinthians 6. It says this, How many people have heard this? Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? How many people have heard this before? 
Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? It says, they are not your own, for you were bought with a price. And it says, because of that, therefore, honor God with what? Even that, that corrupted body that's going to fall, that's going to that, that's die, it's going to get sick. He goes, even though you're still in a non-glorified state, I want you to honor me with that body that you, I've given you. So once again, I'm going to ask the question, do we really believe that it's important to God what we do with our bodies? Well, you may ask, well, what does this mean? How do we honor God with our bodies? Well, I want us to think about the, the, the senses and the functions of the body. What about our eyes? Jesus said that, you know, you ever heard the term, the eyes, the eyes are the windows to the soul? You know who actually taught that? Jesus. And he says, if you've got light coming in, good things are going to happen inside. But if you have darkness coming in through your eyes, you're going to be corrupted. You see, we're not supposed to be being formed by the things coming in from the outside. We're supposed to be formed from the things from the inside going out. Amen? And Jesus said that the eyes are the windows. So do you think it's important what I set before my eyes? Oh, yeah. There's a psalm that David wrote in Psalms 101 that says, I will be careful to lead a blameless life. We're supposed to be blameless when he returns. I will walk in my house with a blameless heart. I will set no vile before my eyes, no vile thing. This is something I've always wanted to just get tattooed on my arm, the scripture, because of exposure to pornography when I was young and just my mind being dosed with that. But that's an area that I have to safeguard against and remind myself, I'm going to walk blameless in my home. I'm not going to set vile things before my eyes because that's going to create, that's important to God. Would you agree? That's important to God. What I do with this body, what I look at with my eyes. What about what I hear with my ears? I know there's parents going, yeah, then my kids need to get rid of that heathen music. I'm not necessarily talking about that. That's probably true. I'm talking about, what about the gossip? What about the slant? You know, people say they like gossip because it's like a choice morsel. Mm, I guess that's good information. We need to pray for so-and-so, right? Because they're, they're, going, they're going, you need to know what they're going through. It says that I need, you know, Jesus, when he taught in, in, in Mark chapter 4, and he taught about having ears to hear so that you can hear God, one of the things he says, he says, take care what you listen to. And there's trash can, what I call trash can Christians that are just looking for a dumpster. They're looking for a dumpster to come dump their gossip, dump their slander, dump their negativity onto somebody. You know what? If someone comes to me like that, I'm like, I ain't got time for that. I ain't got time for that. You got something edifying to say? You got something good to say? But don't come to me with your trash can talk and think that you're going to just come here and dump it in me because I don't need that in my spirit. Amen? I don't need that in my soul. I don't need that influencing my emotions and my mind and my choices. So we need to be careful what we listen to. We also need to be careful, think about the mouth, what we say. Amen? The Bible says that if, if we don't control our tongue, that our religion is in vain. James says that. Do you know there's power with words? Oh, my goodness, I wish... 
You ever said anything in, in, in your marriage or your relationship that you wish you would have never said it? And your spouse still remembers it 20 years later. <laughs> and it still wounds their soul. Saying something offhandedly is, is like putting, trying to put toothpaste back in a toothpaste tube. Once it's out, it's out. The Bible talks about the release of an arrow. Once you let it go, there's no getting it back. Do you think it's important to God how we speak in the body? Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs and what they may be, that they may benefit those who listen. You know, if, before we just blurt something out, if we would just take a second and say, Holy Spirit, what, how do you want me to handle it? The Holy, do you know the Holy Spirit will lead you through that? He'll tell you to shut up or he'll tell you it's not the right time or he'll tell you the right way to say it. That's what he's in you for so that you're just not talking according to the flesh, but you're beginning to release life and power according to the Spirit. Well, what about what comes into our mouths? Do you think that's important to God? You know, the Bible says that the body is the temple of God, amen? And if that's true, I've said this before, I'm a megachurch. So, um, you didn't get that, okay. But, you know... I think about all the things that we take into our bodies. Food, alcohol, drugs, smoking. Do those honor God? Is that a way of honoring God with our bodies? I mean, if food has become something that I'm using as a drug, if I'm using food to feel good, if I'm eating so much that I'm killing myself, is that God's best for our lives? Absolutely not. You know, if I'm, you know, I think about how, how, how popular and how fashionable it is for Christians to drink now. You know, I can only give you a warning that, you know, that the little foxes spoil the vine. I've seen too many people start out with casual consumption and end up in full-blown addiction. It happens, folks. It, it breaks my heart when we, we see Christians that are stuck in addiction because they weren't safeguarding, that they weren't safeguarding and making sure they were honoring God with their bodies. You know, even, even smoking, you know. I, I mean, that's, that's something to me, I got to say, I, I don't understand how any Christian can get comfortable with it. I really don't because it's an addiction and it's terrible for your body. It's a terrible witness. I'm sorry if I'm hurting somebody's feelings, but that is something that you should desire to no longer have in your life, that you should be honoring God with your body. Can I get an amen from anybody on that? You see, the problem is, is a lot of times we have these things in our life because we haven't come, turned the corner to call my addiction sin. But when we call our addiction sin, Jesus says, I can, I've dealt with sin. I can help you out with that. Amen? Because there's not a sin that he hasn't paid for. There's not a sin that he hasn't conquered. There's not, it says that when he returns, that everything, he's got everything brought under his control. Look what it says here in 1 Corinthians 10. It says whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, it says do whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Amen? Whatever you do in the flesh, it should be to honor God. 
Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 6. It says, all things are lawful for me, and not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Paul says everything's permissible, not everything's lawful, but he says, I'll tell you one thing, nothing is going to be a master in my life other than the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if we've got something other, something else that we're bringing into our body that we can't say no to, that's called addiction, and we've got another master in our lives. We should desire, the spirit in you desires for you to only have one master. Would you agree? Let's get quiet in here. Well, let's get ready for this one. What about sexuality? You know, if we look at what the Bible talks about as the most basic and the most important form of sanctification to the body, it specifically deals with human sexual expression. I want you to look at what 1 Corinthians 6, and I want you to read this slowly with me. Because it says this in verse 13, the body, however, is not meant... Okay, we all, have a, we all have a corruptible body, amen? Would you, can I get an amen from everybody? All have a fallen body. And he says, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. It refers to the resurrection. We will be raised as Christ. And it says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Verse 18, he writes these words, flee sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do, not, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have received from God? For you are not your own. You were bought at a price, and therefore honor God with your bodies. The Bible tells us that there should not be a hint of sexual immorality within the church. How many wants God's full blessing on this house? Then we need to be concerned with this. For everyone that considers themselves a believer, for everyone that would consider this place to be their, their house, we need to be concerned with this because Paul tells us three things. He says that the Holy Spirit is in you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Not only is the Holy Spirit in you, it says that it's one with your spirit. Amen? We taught that. You are one. If he has united himself with Christ, is one spirit. The Holy Spirit is one with your spirit and is in you. And he goes on and he says, your bodies are also members of Christ. So that body that you think you have the right to do with it, whatever you want, he says that body that you have, that my Holy Spirit lives in you, is also members with Christ. And he finalizes it, he says, and you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. What were you bought with? The precious blood of Jesus Christ. You know, we want to say, hey, I want to get into heaven, but I don't want to be yours. That's like saying I want, I want the benefits of 
being married, but I don't want to be a spouse. I still want to live single. Let's see how long that works. Amen? If you are living with somebody that is not your spouse, we need to call it what it is. It's sin. We used to call it living in sin. We don't call it that anymore. Now we just call it living together. But the reality of it is, is you will not bow your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ until you realize, you know, this is why people don't get set free from addiction is because they never, they call it a condition, they call it a sickness, they call it everything else except for sin. And Jesus said, I didn't come for sickness, I didn't come for, I came for sin. I'm telling you, that's how I got set free. When I realized that I had a problem that wasn't pleasing to God. Jesus said, that's what I'm looking for, someone that's going to turn to me, someone that's going to willingly submit their life to me. And if we're living with somebody that is not our spouse, that's called sin. Would you agree? You may not feel it. If you're having sexual relationships with someone that is not your spouse, whether you're living together, that is called sexual immorality. That is called fornication. That is called sin. If you're in a same-sex relationship or if you're in a relationship that is outside the constraints of what God gives his blessing on as far as human sexual expression, it's sin. But we live in a culture that says, no, it's not. Whatever you want to do is fine. Okay, am I supposed to be transformed by the outside coming in or am I supposed to be transformed from by what the truth that's in me coming out? I may be ticking some people off right now. I know I got some, you know what, Pastor, you're full of it. And I read this passage of Scripture. And I want you to think about this. If you're in that situation, if you're in sexual intimacy outside of marriage, if you're living with someone that's not your spouse, if you're in same-sex relationships, if you are in the context that is not according to God's plan for your life, I want you to think about these words. Because just in the previous chapter where Paul talks about the return of Christ in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says these words, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we've instructed you how to live in order to please God. As in, fact you are in, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and we urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. Continue on doing this. For you know what instructions, he says, what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying right here, what we are telling you to do is not of our own opinion. This is under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And look what he says. It is God's will that each of you should be sanctified. Do we understand that God wants to sanctify us completely? Spirit, soul, and body? Or can I get an agreement on that? It says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control your own bodies in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. Let me tell you, if you are a believer 
and you are yoked up with someone that is causing you or, or, or pressuring you to, to compromise your relationship with the Lord, then let that person go. If they are not encouraging you and your relationship with the Lord in a life of holiness, that person does not love you. They are using you. Can you imagine after getting married and you want to pursue God (laughs) and someone wasn't encouraging you to pursue God before you were married? You know how much harder that's going to be? You know, it's a lot easier to be single. Marriage is hard. Whoever I marry, I want them to encourage me in my relationship with God. I don't want it to be the person that talked me out of it, that took me away from holiness. And if you're dating someone that is not encouraging you, not drawing you near to God, not, not walking together with you towards God, you need to let them go. Each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans that do not know God. For in this matter, no one should, should, should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. Listen, listen to what it says. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. And listen how he finalizes. He says, therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gave you the Holy Spirit. He is saying that if you, the instructions that I'm giving you in holy living, if you're like, that's your opinion, pastor. I'm offended at what you said. I'm not listening to you. I don't care. (laughs) I'm used to insults. I'm used to rejection. But he says anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but he's rejecting the very God who gave you his spirit. Pretty solemn words, would you agree? If I'm rejecting God's directive to honor him with my body, I'm just not ignoring the opinion of a pastor. I'm rejecting God himself. I remember when I left Chicago, and I I shared with Pastor Hen that my, my jaded background And I remember going up to uh, the altar, and I was smoking cigarettes at the time. Anybody know that smoking cigarettes is hard to quit? Man, it's hard. I remember I was smoking cigarettes, and I went up to the altar, and I was like, you know, God had already delivered me from the drugs. I was a crack cocaine addict, and God had delivered me from that. And I, was, and I, and I knew if he could handle cocaine, he could handle nicotine. I knew God could do it. And I remember going to the altar, and I remember just... I want this out of my life. This is not glorifying God. I know I'm called in the ministry. I got to get this out of. I want this out of my. He's like, shh, 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 shh. he was very fatherly. He's like, my son. He goes, I'm going to pray for you. And we're going to anoint your lips with oil as a point of contact. And he said, and God is going to deliver you from that. Just as He has the drugs, He's going to deliver you. But what I want you to focus on is for you to avoid what you should avoid. And he said, avoid, flee 
sexual immorality. That was his last words to me when I left Chicago. He said, God's going to do miracles. He's going to set you free from bondages you have, but you have the ability. You know what? I still have the ability to do with my body what I want to do with my body. You have the ability to do with your body what you want to do with your body. God knows that. He's not going to force his will on you, but he's asking you, until I return, I want you to honor me with your body. I want you to honor me with your body because my spirit lives in you. Your body is part of Christ, and I paid a great price. You're not your own. And your spirit, your soul, and your body belong to me. Amen? Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this. And I'm going to close with this passage of Scripture. We're going to skip Romans 6. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's great mercies, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. It says this is your true and proper worship. Other translations says this is your reasonable act of service. Did you know that it says offering yourself in purity to God is, you know, it's funny because we live in a time that says, well, that's for the super Christians, that's for the super Christians. That's, that's, for, those, that's for those holy rollers that don't, don't have sex before. That, that, that's for the super Christians. Let me tell you, sexual purity is Christianity 101. Because you may not know a lot about God, but you have control with what you do with your bodies. Amen? And he says, the one thing that I've given you dominion and I've given you choice over is your body. I've given you dominion over that. But if you're mine, my spirit lives in you. And that body is now a member of my son. And I bought you and you're not your own anymore. And I've got better for you than that. I urge you, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And do not be conformed do not be conformed to the ways of this world. Don't let the world shape you anymore. But be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It says, how many people want to know the will of God? It says it starts out with you offering your body as a living sacrifice. You want to know the will of God? Offer your body first. Because if you can't do that, nothing else is going to make sense. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices in view of the mercies that God has given us. You may say, Pastor, are you perfect? No, I'm not. I'm not. But I also don't want to do anything to hinder God's sanctifying process in my own life. Because I know I'm never going to be totally perfect. But I do. I do want to stand blameless before him when he returns. Blameless. The only person that can stop that sanctifying power from consuming your life is you.
you're the only person that can stop that. The world can't tell you, the world, the world can't make you, your, your friends, your, your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your fiance or whoever you're dating cannot make you compromise. But do you believe that God has his best intents towards you and towards your life? Then in view of those mercies, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And you know what? I understand. It's not perfect. But I want it to be blameless when he comes. And that day when he returns, and in a twinkling of an eye, everything is made new and everything is perfect. Let's bow our heads. I want to take a time.